Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we're going to be continuing our discussion of reopening Hollywood. And then you're going to hear a snippet from my interview with Bradley Whitford, uh, who's really crushing it, uh, not only on the big screen uh, in movies like Get Out that we've seen in recent years, but also all over television and currently in his Emmy-winning role in The Handmaid's Tale. But before we even get to that, when we're talking about reopening Hollywood, let's talk about the consequences of reopening Hollywood, the consequences of the coronavirus pandemic and the stay-at-home orders we've seen, the closing of cinemas, the stopping of production, and now the latest Oscars ever has been announced by the Academy. And let me tell you, baby, we're going to be celebrating Easter before we're celebrating Oscars. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's necessary, though, Dominic. It, it had to happen because we don't know what the future holds and the Academy doesn't know. But this has been so impacted by the close of production, the shutdown of production over the last three months, uh, the uh, uncertainty over when theaters can even get back into action. Which when still nobody really can, knows. You yeah, know, when I mean, these movies can be finished, the Academy had to do something. So they moved to a week past, at least in the television era, since the Oscars uh, started being broadcast in 1953. This is the latest they've ever gone. And we not only expect the Oscars to do this, BAFTA's already answered this move uh, with a quick move of their own to April. Uh, we expect all the other uh, award season uh, shows in the movie season as well, like the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice and all the Critics' Awards and everything else everything uh, to move to. Everything. Everything. And I mean, we've already heard, I mean, officially the Emmys is still happening when it's supposed to happen, but already the creative Emmys has been moved to being done over from September 12th to 13th to now being done over an unspecified series of nights virtually in September, which in many ways makes sense. I hope though, you know, with many of these, the changes that have happened over the past several months with the coronavirus, keeping people at home and keeping people under lockdown, there has been a new normal that emerges. I really hope the Creative Emmys doesn't end up becoming an only virtual event. I can see for expediency's sake why some people would want it to, and clearly it's not a big network, network ratings draw in any, any case, but it is a celebration of the people who really do a lot of the hard work day to day on television shows. And so I, I, I know the necessity for it this year, I hope it doesn't become permanent. But I will say this too. That's also, as you're talking about the calendar moving around, what has already happened and what is to happen, let's talk about some of the festivals. Venice and Telluride, they say they're still on. Yes, and <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. Uh, with the Oscar move to April, Nobody, as I wrote in my piece, quoting uh, one of the uh, Oscar consultants, nobody has the stomach for an eight-month Oscar season, which is what it would be if the uh, festivals get, you know, the the starting gun again, as it always is around Labor Day, early September with Venice, uh, Telluride, and Toronto. I, I think Venice is going to be more of a local European kind of festival this year. I don't see people traveling in there and any big uh, American Hollywood movies uh, premiering there in a big way. I, 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 and if they do, I don't think it will be with talent unless they happen to be in the neighborhood like George Clooney. Um, yeah, if you, I, if you can't drive up the road or ride your bike to this, you're not yeah, going. No, and then Telluride has announced they're going ahead, but I think that was just an attempt, really, to tell Hollywood, give us your movies. 
Uh, I, I've heard the actual drop dead date to give a go ahead is mid July. And I've talked around to a lot of people. I tend to doubt that this is going to happen, at least as we've seen it before. So and I'm not sure of the impact. I think the award season will start later. I mean, knock it, it down. It has to. It has to. And, and in some ways, look, in some ways, this is this is this is hard bolts reality dealing with a public health crisis. But it's also the reality of dealing with schedules. You know, we've talked about it before, and we've certainly written about it on Deadline. The NFL have put out a tentative schedule. Whether or not it actually happens, they're saying they're going to get games happening in September. Clearly, um, the Premier League is uh, debuting tomorrow with its first couple of games, and then this weekend it will have a first series of games, no crowds, which is going to be weird, in, in, in <laughs> soccer in the U.K. But with all these moving around, with all this moving around, there's some other realities. Like, TIFF hasn't said officially what the deal is. Neither has Sundance. But honestly, uh, you really think all those people are going to move out to be flying out to Utah in late January in the height of what would be flu season anyways after everything that's happening? I just don't see it. Well, uh, somebody suggested to me a very major player in all of these awards things. Could Sundance become an awards festival for the Oscars? That's never happened. But timing for Sundance without it moving is perfect. Uh, for this. It could take the place of, uh, you know, because nominations aren't even going to be announced for the Oscars until March 15th. So Sundance happening where it normally happens in January is ideal for this kind of situation. It could affect uh, how release schedules go with some of the movies that are submitted to Sundance. Some of it could be intentionally aimed at Oscars. They Peter, are now Peter, eligible until February you, 28th. I hear you. And, that, and theoretically, like the notion that an elephant can dangle off a cliff from a dandelion, theoretically, that sounds great. I got to tell you, man, I go to Sundance every year, walking around in the snow, walking in and out of those uh, dinners, walking in and out of the, 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 the cinemas. As soon as I hear a cough, I am out that door, and I know <laughs> that I will be one of many in a stampede. Okay. And you always hear people coughing at Sundance. Yeah. Always. Because, well, again, it's flu season. You know, all right, well, do I go to tell you my... Like, there was quite a bad flu in Utah last year. They, 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 were, they didn't seem to have any significant coronavirus cases at that time. But that was right when this was breaking in China, when people were hearing these stories and it was becoming widespread. And we were on the cusp. They say that maybe that's when in America we should have started dealing with it. So I just don't see that. As for, as for TIFF, you know, that's literally what? two and a half months from now, give or take? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How? How does that happen now? I don't know. But TIFF has been the one out there saying they're most open to being doing these virtual programs. TIFF is so big. And it's got so many moving uh, things going to it. Uh, the Toronto Festival, that I can see that actually happening in uh, different ways, but not as we've known it before. But do I go to Telluride in a, a little town? What it takes to get there is really difficult. And it's not even got a hospital. They don't even have a hospital there. So <laughs> yeah, that was never information I thought would be part of this, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, people have a hard enough time going to Telluride, which I love. It's my beloved film festival, uh, you know, because of the altitude. There are all kinds of factors. I've, I've talked to directors who they wanted to honor who said, I can't do it because my doctor won't let me go. Anthony Hopkins could not go last year with the two popes for the very reason that his wife said health-wise, it would not be good for him and his doctors uh, uh, did not want him to do it. So um, there are other factors in addition to this. I just have my doubts that we're going to see the fall film festivals 
impact the Oscar season in the way that they have in the past. I just don't see it happening. I see this all moving. And, you know, whether Sundance is a factor or not, I don't know. I think the whole thing's changing. I was talking to Netflix about it. They now have the Egyptian theater in Hollywood. They're planning to do all kinds of different kinds of screening programs, bringing in voters, bringing in press to see their movies, their streaming movies on the big screen without going to the festivals at all. But I still say, and you know, I, I mean, I think that a big, big factor in this is always going to be, you know, football. Um, as we were talking about, the NFL is kind of, you know, moving things around. In theory, it looked at one point like the Super Bowl and the Oscars might actually clash. Clearly, the Academy. Yes, I wrote about that, that on the 28th. Well, you know, if they clash now on April 25th, we're all in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you but know, that's how it's happening. I mean, I, 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 I feel like we're st we're living in a pretend land. I mean, this is La La Land, so of course we're living in a pretend <laughs> land. But we're living in this, I, I think we're living in this, 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 this sort of mock fantasy of believing that the Emmys are happening when they're happening. I mean, they're, well, I, how? How is I that believe happening? they're happening. And actually, as someone, you know, when I used to be on the board, I used to go to the Creative Arts Emmys when they were actually one day before they split them up. You know, and I sat through that ceremony and I can see them spreading that out over several nights in September because that's a lot of categories. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. You know, we the important thing with all of this is to honor the great year we've had in television and the Emmys making these changes so far announced, uh, announcing Jimmy Kimmel as a producer as well as a host of something. He's been doing a great job on his own virtual talk show. We can well, I mean, the it. unique thing is, you know, this year, ABC has both the Oscars, which of course they have a long-term contract for, and the Emmys. I mean, ABC, yeah. the alphabet is clearly the award show network. And they're the ones who are going to have to move with the tides of all of this. And, but they know how to do it. They did it with American Idol. They put their cameras in every single one of those contestants' homes and didn't miss a beat ratings-wise, um, you know, and, and, and made that show work. They have proven, uh, television has proven they can adapt it. They have an easier time of it than the Oscars and the movie business, which can't do it as well. But um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see this Emmy race. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. People have been stuck at home watching these shows. It really makes an unpredictable year. And, and I think there's going to be more interest in this. I really do. I, I think uh, this is the best thing that could have happened to the Television Academy. They needed to shake this up one way or another. And now they're being forced to shake it up. And, and uh, we're going to see very soon because the Emmys are right there in, in September. So we're, we're just uh, three months away from this. Well, I'll agree with you that the TV Academy needs to shake things up. Not sure global health pandemic was actually the, 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 the way we needed to light that fire, but I'll go with you on that. But I will say when we talk about, you know, great TV that we've all got to see the past few, the few months, look, as a TV critic, I'm always game with that. But I will say you are actually talking to someone recently, and I'm talking about Mr. Bradley Whitford, West Wing alum, that kind of, a, that already says everything you need to know. But you tell us a little bit about your conversation you guys had about some of his more recent projects. Yeah, well, Bradley, uh, he's an interesting guy because uh, he is an actor incarnate. He just he said, I can't wait to get back out there in front of the cameras. I miss it so much. He said, I never realized I, 
I missed it until it went away. He was in the middle of shooting an episode of Handmaid's Tale that represented the directorial debut of Elizabeth Moss, his uh, co-star in the show. And, uh, and, and they have to go back and finish that. They're still only a day and a half into that shoot. He said he can't wait. But you know what? He's made a real impact on in the movies. He's had two movies that he's been in in significant supporting roles that were both nominated for Best Picture, The Post and Get Out. Uh, he's continuing a movie career, but he's best known for TV, and he's won three Emmys for three different series. You mentioned The West Wing. He talks about that, too, and that's where he actually uh, first uh, met Elizabeth Moss, who's now, of course, uh, the that's first right. starring she in played, the she played one of President Bartlett's daughters, the one who got kidnapped, actually. That's right. You know, in the final season. And so they have a history going back. He does. He has some really interesting things to say, not only about all the stuff he's doing now, but about that show, West Wing, and uh, how it is, as he calls it, uh, porn, you know, in a way, <laughs> for uh, progressives out there uh, to actually watch a show like that that is so far away from what's in the White House right now. Take a listen to my conversation on the actor's side with Bradley Whitford. I want to talk about the last Emmy you won because that was unusual. You uh, for The Handmaid's Tale, right after you uh, joined the series, it was uh, I guess what they call the penultimate episode of season two. The series wasn't qualified that year, but um, you were. Honestly, I think it was. Um, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll absolutely take it. I did take it, <laughs> but 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 I, I like it was a little unfair because the show is so powerful. Initially, I came in as a guest actor, um, but then I became a regular. So while I'm nominated as a guest actor, all these wonderful episodes of and the character development of this fascinating guy is sort of playing out. So I think I had a little bit of, of an advantage just because of those those dates. But again, I'll take it. This is such an interesting character you're playing now on this series. Uh, I mean, Commander Joseph Lawrence is a, I would, I would say he's a very complicated character. It's the most fascinating character I've ever gotten to play. And it, it's, it's, there, there's no static character there. He is a guy who, to me, is constantly in play. And that's fascinating. My idea for him, uh, did you ever see Fog of War? Oh, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, he's there, you know, here's a guy, McNamara, uh, whose huge brain uh, uh, obliterates his humanity. He's aware of what he's done, and his humanity is fighting back. Yeah, it's so interesting to see you playing opposite Elizabeth Moss. Mm -hmm. um, she's extraordinary, and I recently interviewed her for this series, too, and she said it was also weird because I'm directing Bradley Whitford, and I, <laughs> I, I, I have this history, you know, going back to West Wing and everything. You, you said somewhere I saw that she was the most interesting actor you've ever worked with is that true that's a big statement because you've worked with many many different actors well uh, interesting was that the word one of those i something like that but uh well i i i find her completely uh fascinating she is the least pretentious performer 
I've ever seen. And uh, when you lock eyes with her, um, uh, you don't know where it's going to go. When you look at the different kind of projects you want to do, Perfect Harmony, when you talk about dark stuff, that had a very dark underpinning. That, that uh, you know, for a half-hour comedy uh, on NBC came from a very dark place. And a lot of the, I mean, you know, get out. A lot of different things are tricky. They use humor, but they also go into a places that a lot of things like that wouldn't. When you get to layer it and sort of invite you know, uh, complexity into it, that's when it gets gets really fun. And, and yeah, but, you know, per Perfect Harmony is very, <laughs> very dark guy. It was so funny because, the, I mean, the hardest thing about that, you know, we do a pilot that of a comedy that begins with a guy who's, like, committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like trying to find that weird tone. Characters you play like um, Arthur Parsons in The Post and uh, in The Last Full Measure, um, Carlton, interesting guys because they're not exactly sympathetic, but you're not playing them as a, as a villain. You're serving the hero in the movie and it's not helpful for, for Meryl Streep's character in The Post uh, if Parsons, you know, is completely totally dismissible it, it it diminishes her heroicism if he is a a, a one-dimensional villain i saw somebody the other day they said what are you doing during the quarantine what are you doing during this time what are you watching and they said the west wing and they <laughs> the west wing is very available and people are believe it or not who never saw it the first time um, are now discovering it. Do you have find that? Do people stop you and say, "Hey, you know, I love Josh"? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's a funny thing. People <laughs> people come up to me, and you know, they know the names. I don't know the names of any of those. I, I, a couple of them, names of the episodes. There's people who've memorized the show. Um, you know, there's there's podcasts about it. There's there's um, I, I think it would have been intimidating <laughs> uh, uh, if we had known that that uh, that, that was going to happen. But yeah, it's found a whole new uh, it's found a whole new audience, and it is in this particular political climate uh, reassuring progressive porn. The shock early on was that we would be taken seriously at all. At least I was shocked. Um, you know, you're just trying to get away with sort of pulling it off. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now, we know you're listening and we really appreciate that, but also make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss Pete and I yakking our heads off. And of course, you can find all of our breaking news coverage of TV, film, business, everything affecting the industry at Deadline.com. And thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll talk to you next week on TV Talk. Until then, goodbye.